0: The wait is finally over. DraftKings has brought legal sports betting to Colorado. Understandably, it may have flown under your radar, but sports are coming back. Just imagine how much more fun watching a game will be when you have some skin in the game. The best way to get in on the action is with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. This isn't some offshore operation like other gaming sites. DraftKings is a legitimate sportsbook based right here in the U.S. so you can be confident that your funds are secure. With DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet from wherever, whenever. You don't even have to leave your house. This weekend, there will be a clash of the titans. Legend versus legend. Goat versus goat. A story as old as time, and if that isn't enough to get you to tune in, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering a special promotion. Just place $20 in bets on the big event, and you'll receive a free $20 live bet. That's right. Bet $20, get $20. Download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign up bonus of up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code DNVR and get your sign up bonus of up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play-through restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, guys? We are back with another edition of the DNVR College Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook. It's always a little bit better when you've got some skin in the game. I'm Justin Michael. I cover the CSU Rams. I'm here with Henry Chisholm.
1: He covers the Colorado Buffs. Henry, what's up, my man? Uh, not much. I'm getting excited to watch some golf. Uh, as you know, there's, there've been a lot of fights about whether this whole tiger versus or tiger and Peyton versus Phil and Tom Brady thing is worth watching specifically our Broncos guys. Like Mace was saying, it's not even that interesting. It's like, how is this not interesting? This is the greatest golfer of all time that we get to follow around the course, like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, they're all there too, but I'm so pumped just to get to see tiger play his home course and all that other stuff is going to be fun too.
0: To me, it, like I understand the perspective that from a pure athletic competition standpoint, I'm not sure it's that riveting. Like you do have two of the best golfers and two of the best quarterbacks of all time. So it's not like it's, you know, just watching some scrubs out there, but also like I get the point that him basically saying it's like the equivalent of, you know, some celebrities going out and playing with their friends. But then again, like, I'd love that. Like, it reminds me a little bit of the Michael Jordan golfing stories, like in the in the MJ doc. Like, mm-hmm. would we not want to watch a series where Michael Jordan is is golfing with people and talking trash and smoking cigars and gambling and all that? Like, <laughs> give me yeah. all of it. And this is the perfect situation because you have Peyton and Tom, two guys who you know kind of have some personality. I just think it'll be great TV, especially if you know they have them talking trash and like you know breaking down the
1: holes and stuff. Why not? I'll watch it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, last weekend, uh, you know, they had Rory McIlroy with Dustin Johnson, and then they were playing Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf, and it was incredible. And that was more like, obviously, you're not bringing in random celebrities. They're all big golf figures. But... It was just so much fun to watch. And I really do think that we're going to see more of this in golf. Like we'll still have the PJ tour, all the tournaments, that kind of stuff. But these pay-per-view 2v2, 1v1, maybe there's even an undercards so that there are two groups out at a time. There's going to be more of that because it is just incredible TV. And now maybe today isn't quite the same because it is two celebrities with two great golfers. And so the like competition, the way it's structured, you know, like fifth hole, they all get to use like only one club. And there's that kind of stuff going on instead of just the strict like match player skin structure. But I think for everybody who did watch last weekend, this weekend is going to be incredible. And I think there are going to be a lot of people who will watch today and, say, and, and hear other people say, last week was really good. This week is really good. And maybe they announce uh, Rory and whatever other big names play again in another one like last weekend, that's what could really get this whole subsection of the sport to take off.
0: I mean, honestly, the my my response to the critics would be, have you seen some of the other things that have been on TV lately? <laughs> I, I was watching ESPN and it was like a hybrid version of dodgeball with four square and like half the people were in jeans. I was like, are you kidding me? This is the athletic competition, the worldwide leader of sports. What am I watching?
1: And this is literally Tiger Woods on his home course playing his rival of 20, 30 years, whatever. And then plus for, I guess, the undercard, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in a different sport. We've never seen anything like this. I mean, did we ever see Larry Bird and Magic Johnson just go play touch football or like go bowling or anything? Like, this is just so cool in so many different ways. I, I The highlight of my quarantine by far will be today. I think they need to make an entire series out of it.
0: Let's let's play golf this week weekend. Next weekend, I want, you know, uh, Peyton and Tiger versus Tom and Phil. In darts, maybe then you move mm-hmm. on to bowling. We can get all of those recreational sports. Let them talk trash.
1: I don't know why not. What what else do we have to do this summer? Exactly. I, I, I'm just so excited to watch good golf. It's so much fun. <sighs> I know a lot of people like anti watching golf on TV, mostly because I mean I don't think they do it often, but there is that sentiment there that's just like boring. Like how could you just watch these guys walk around the course for four hours? And it's like watching. I I don't even know like half gods half humans like the way they move the ball and the way they think about the course you know Peyton tweeted out a scorecard yesterday with all of his notes on it like I, I think it's like aim left on hole number 12 and like all these different things the way that they see the game it's just so cool and to get to follow them around instead of just cutting in random holes, seeing random shots everywhere. And it's just like a whirlwind during a normal golf tournament and kind of tough to follow to the last day when everything's sorted out. This is just going to be so clean and so pure. And I just love it.
0: Well, I think it'll be good for the casual viewer because it'll be a situation where, you know, you maybe don't necessarily have to watch all 18 holes like from start Mm -hmm. to finish. Some of us that are dying for sports content, we're going to be in it from start to finish. But... The thing about golf that I think kind of turns away the casual viewer, if you only tune in for five to ten minutes, I understand why you wouldn't understand mm-hmm. why golf is is great. It's all about the drama, it's the buildup, it's the story of the tournament, how mm-hmm. everything plays out. That is what entertains you. That is where the, you know, you get to appreciate the competition, the skill, how much thought all goes into this. And for me, like watching watching somebody who's leading for three days going into that fourth day in a tournament, like just the nerves and knowing like how they're going to have to balance all that. It's, it's so dramatic. It's great. It's captivating. It's, it's amazing. I love golf.
1: And then when you get to watch like two or three of them or four tournaments and you get to know all the different players, like, You know, I think a lot of people know like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, like Tiger, there's a lot of things he does well. Like he used to hit the ball forever. There was the Tiger proof in the store or Tiger proof in the courses. You know, he's clutch. He comes through in the big moments, but more than anything, it's like his recovery shots. Like he'll, he'll be playing like the least forgiving course in golf throw one deep into the trees and just weave something out onto the green and make up for it. And when you see that, and then it's a Sunday on a tournament and you know, that's the book on tiger and you see him hook one into the trees. You're like, Oh wow, he could do this. He could totally do this. And maybe he does. And maybe he doesn't. And then like Phil with the short game, he's just like a magician the way he just gets the ball to stick right next to the hole. I don't know. It's just going to be so much fun today. And I, I miss sports. And golf is a good one to get back since we missed the match. Great way to
0: great way to put it. And because this show is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook,
1: Henry, who you got? Who you got in this matchup? So this was a tough one for me, but I took I took Tiger and Peyton. I put some money on Tiger and Peyton to uh, to win, but the odds were so bad that that was,
0: that was it was a little disappointing from mm. from that perspective. But I get it. You know yeah. what a, what a weird thing to try and from a like an
1: odds maker's perspective. How do and, you even determine this? And everything just works into Tiger's favor. Like, it's, it's his home course. That means he probably plays there a couple times a week. Phil had never played that course before this week. Uh,
0: Which you know, is weird. Yeah. Just given how frequently Tiger plays it, like, it's surprising to me at some point, Phil wasn't just like, I'll go see what it's all about. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, and then we've also heard that Fi- or Tiger has invited Peyton out before. And Peyton's played the course with Tiger before out there. And so you're just like, wow, these guys know what they're doing. Sure, Phil got the practice round, but we saw last week with that last golf tournament, you know, Matthew Wolf, who hadn't played the course before, he could not read those greens. And there are no caddies for any of this either. So you don't even have locals who have seen all the putts to see what's going to happen. I really think that Tiger and Peyton are going to win. But because the odds were minus 245, something like that, I threw more stuff down on the props, stuff like uh, who's the leader after six holes, And I was pretty consistent throughout everything, putting Tiger and Peyton ahead. But that's the kind of stuff where I thought there's a little more value here. I think they're going to outperform that minus 245 or whatever the line was. I can't remember what I got them at. But uh, that was my strategy throughout this.
0: I like it. I need to to check out some of those prop bets before it starts because they're just more
1: fun. Yeah. Well, and especially when there's stuff like, like, I have Tiger and Peyton to be leading after three holes. And I have them like to take the first lead, and so throughout the day there'll just be so many pieces that I'm excited to watch. And so I, I basically I threw my DraftKings budget for the week all on this, and I've just been picking things all week that I like. So I'm confident I'm going to come out ahead. Hopefully, Tiger and Peyton win. How
0: crazy is it that you know legal sports betting finally here in Colorado? We don't even have our main sports in Colorado going on right now, and just like. Everybody is betting on sports right now. Korean baseball, Russian table tennis, UFC. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a little bit funny. I'm sure like the people on the outside are like these crazy sports fans. Like, But God, man, we, it, you just need something to be excited about right now. And, yep. and DraftKings Sportsbook is doing that for the fans, baby. Get some skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. All right. I guess we will talk a little bit of college football today given that it is a college football <laughs> podcast. Um, you know, we were going to do the the defensive draft, but at this point, maybe we should just put it off to next week and, and talk yeah. NCAA news.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, when we were talking through it, it's tougher to draft these defenses. And it's kind of, it sounds weird to say when you think back, like all of the guys that CU has put in the NFL recently at cornerback and safety, like the secondary guys have gone through there. But then as you pointed out earlier, before we started recording, the defensive line draft is sneaky tough when you're just talking Colorado and Colorado State prospects in the last 20 years.
0: Not a not a lot of studs on the interior defensive line for either one of these programs. You know, this isn't to say that there haven't been some, but you know, for the point of this exercise, we're trying to get, you know, the Shaq Barretts of the world, the the superstars. Like we the offense was a lot of fun cuz we got to just, you know, get so many guys out there. There have been a lot of great defensive players. I think the linebackers are going to be interesting. There have been some really great safeties that have played for both of these schools. But, man, where's the beef, man? Where's the beef, CU and CSU? (laughs) Go get those D-linemen.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like just looking through the list, uh, Jordan Carroll from the Buffs got drafted 2017. Uh, Before that... He was a JUCO transfer, so it doesn't even feel like... (laughs) If we're going like
0: guys that you want to rep for like your all-time teams, like I I was trying to find more of those like three, four-year guys, but you almost like have to include them because it's just so thin at at the depths there.
1: Yeah. Before that, last time a buff got drafted on the defensive line, 2007, Abraham Wright, seventh round. You know, before that, 2003, they actually had a first rounder, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're really just isn't quite as much there which is interesting and when you look around the Pac-12 because we're talking about Colorado you know there's there's like the actually it's crazy story but essentially there's a large Mormon population in Utah and also in Polynesia and so a bunch of these Polynesian guys wind up wanting to go to Utah or USC where there's large Mormon Polynesian populations and, and a lot of them are like defensive linemen. You know, you think about this last year's Utah's defense with Bradley and Nye, uh, I believe John may maybe an Islander, uh, but there's like a whole bunch of th- those type of guys at those schools. Maybe that's why you aren't seeing as many at Colorado. I don't know. I've never really thought about that, but that is a great point
0: And one that, you know, CU fans can connect with, with Utah. Also, I mean, CSU fans, obviously, because Utah was in the mountain West before they joined the Pac-12, BYU was in the Mountain West. Before they went independent, Utah State still in the Mountain West, and all you see it with all three of those schools using mm-hmm. that like Mormon pipeline. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, to, no. that Sounds kind of weird to say. It, it is that what way. it is, though. But it is like that is how they recruit strategically, going out and going to those areas where mm-hmm. they have the heavy presence for the missions, and I don't yeah. know. Maybe maybe that's what these programs need to do. Let's let's branch out a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but the point is that defensive line draft is going to be tough, um, and maybe that's our teaser for next week. <laughs> Hope it got you excited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man! But there is big news, though. Big news. We're closer to college football returning, guys. Yep. Uh, basically, the NCAA, the Division One Council, voted on Wednesday to allow voluntary athletic uh, activities for football players as well as men and women's basketball players. And then uh, later in the week, voted to allow voluntary athletic activities for all student athletes uh, at Division one schools, uh regardless of sport what was what is just your initial takeaway from that, Justin?
0: My initial takeaway is kind of just that these schools they're going to try and find a way to make college football happen. I know that's like the consistent thing we've been saying for a couple of weeks and I'm not trying to like beat that drum to death. But obviously there's still a lot of question marks about access to testing and and some of that stuff. There are a lot of things that they have to figure out. But the fact that they're, you know, getting these athletes back on campus in June, that's a great sign. I mean, I remember 6 weeks ago we were kind of talking like you know, are, are the athletes even going to be able to be back at all by like August, September. And if that were to happen, you know, the future of college football for next year would have definitely been in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a, it's an encouraging sign. I think there are a lot of things that we still have to figure out logistically, but at this point, I just think it's, it, it should give college football fans, you know, room for optimism.
1: Yeah. And, and we've seen that all over the place. You know, you start with how quickly everything got back to normal in Asia with, with all the baseball, uh, they, they had fans in, at games, I think, two, three weeks ago, at least for a couple in Japan, and they were spaced out, and there's all that kind of stuff going on still. But everybody there is saying, we can't believe how quickly this all flipped back, and now it's almost looking like that same thing could happen here. And maybe I'm just too optimistic, but New York this morning, uh, the governor came out and said, pro sports can hold training camps in New York. Where we've been hearing about all of the terrible things that are happening because of this uh, coronavirus. And that's another just great sign that makes my heart feel happy right now. Look, like we want to be
0: respectful. We understand that this fight is not over. And we understand that there are a lot of people that have been greatly impacted by this. So we're not trying to be dismissive of the coronavirus or be two of those guys that were like, see, like the luck, we didn't need the lockdown. Has nothing to do with any of that. But just from like a pure, college sports fandom standpoint it's a good sign like the fact that they're getting back because as we've talked about for the last couple weeks if the student athletes aren't on campus it's going to be essentially impossible for these teams to to function because they have to be able to practice and and getting them back in June before you know the rest of the major population is there and they're still figuring that out we don't really know how schools are going to handle that But I just think it's good that they're getting back so early. You know what I mean? It's not Mm -hmm. it's not August, September, October. It's June. And now we have a couple of months to kind of perfect it because there's going to be some
1: hiccups along the way. Yeah. And, you know, last week I spent the whole week on those Pac-12 conference calls and uh, essentially all the coaches agreed that they need six to eight weeks to get their guys in shape. Six to eight weeks. So if you're planning on starting what? I think I guess the first round of games would be that first weekend in September. So that means you need to start your camps by early to mid July, um, or at least have people back working out. This would be a good sign in terms of thinking that those camps would be back um, by mid July at the very latest, because now there's this whole basically six weeks to play with, assuming that conferences are willing to allow voluntary athletic activities, because that's, the next step here is that the NCAA allows it. And you know, the SEC has already said they're starting June 8th. So the NCAA said that you could start voluntary athletic activities beginning June 1st. SEC pushes it back a week. Uh, The PAC-12 has their own moratorium that is supposed to end on June 1st. Um, And there will be a vote sometime in the next week as to whether to extend that moratorium or whether to allow voluntary athletic activities on June 1st. Where does the Mountain West stand on all that kind of stuff? Are people thinking that they're going to be seeing sports soon?
0: Yeah, it's kind of sounding like early June, a lot like (laughs) a lot you know these other leagues. It's we're we're in a we're at a point where I just think it's it's pretty clear that there's going to be some form of college football, and if they need six to eight weeks, you know these guys are all working out right now as is. I just think it's it makes so much more sense for them to be working out. In a controlled scenario, I got a lot more confidence in in the sanitation processes at the CSU athletic facility than I do, you know, the lifetime mm-hmm. fitness in, in Arvada or whatever. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: it, it's it's just a better situation because you can't tell these guys to not work out for half a year. It, it was never gonna <laughs> happen. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they were gonna find ways no matter what. This is safer, this makes more sense. And at the end of the day, it's, it's another step closer to college football returning. So I'm all for it.
1: What do you think the biggest barrier is between like, us right now and having a college football season?
0: I think they have to have consistent access to testing. Okay. And it sounds like they're close. Like a lot of these schools, you know, they have the budgets for it. Where it's going to be interesting is some of the smaller schools. You know, can they afford to do this? Can they test players every day? Is that even feasible? Yeah, I don't know, but you know, recently, the the local media had a chance to do a conference call with some CSU football players, and and Warren Jackson kind of talked about how you know he's he's desperate to return. He's the guy who could have gone pro. He's coming back for his senior season because he wants to try to help CSU win a Mountain West championship. But you know, he also talked about how his his number one priority in life is his health, and and to feel safe, he would want you know some access to testing. Where do you think you know most athletes lie on that? Do you think have you had a
1: chance to ask anyone any questions like that or anything? I haven't heard much about testing in particular, and that's one of the. I really like that that was your answer um, because there are just so many layers to that question. Because you know the NCAA didn't just say everybody can go back to normal; they said you have to still follow your state and local guidelines. And so if those guidelines say you can meet in groups of 10 or less, then you can get your quarterback with your receivers and let them throw the ball a bit and just follow normal NCAA offseason rules about that, whatever those would be. But they didn't... Say themselves that schools need to be testing their student athletes. Again, that's up to the local governments, the state governments, or even the schools. You know, the university could say we're not letting students on campus unless they've taken a test. And then you start saying, well, how often do they need to be tested? Is this a weekly thing? Is this a monthly thing? Can we do it once and then just be pretty confident that? If they'll be fine if they show symptoms we'll deal with it because a a test right now costs about a hundred dollars or at least when Pete Thamel broke this news that's the number that he used in his story based on who he's talked to I trust him but uh yeah so like a hundred dollars a test then you consider that there are so many football players and then there's all the other sports because now it's not just these three sports and I think that's probably the right call you have to let everybody work out but how often do you test them? Can you afford to test them once a week? Can you afford to test them at all when they get back? It's, it's one of the biggest questions. And then you get into ethics of it. I mean, and this is another point we talked about on the uh, DNVR Buffs podcast. You know, if, if there are sick people who want to get tests, can we justify testing all of the Colorado Buffaloes instead of those sick people?
0: You know, that's a great point And one that I didn't necessarily consider. I do think at this point, and I, and I may be speaking ignorantly here. So if I, if I am, I apologize, but I just mean, it seems like access to testing for the people with symptoms is pretty readily available at least in Colorado. Um, so like at this point, I'm not sure you would have that dramatic of a PR backlash mm-hmm. from like the sense of we're wasting tests on them because I do think there's, for like the people that need it, it's it, they seem to be able to have access to it right now. Yeah, but like you said, you know, at a hundred dollars a test, yet what fifty to seventy players at least—that's a smaller roster. Really, if you're counting everybody else, some of the the walk-ons and all that stuff, it's more like ninety. Well, then the coaches, coaches, and the equipment, training staff. staff, everyone like this. I don't know. It just—that's the one thing that worries me a little bit. It seems to be kind of a a logistical hurdle just from a financial standpoint, but maybe you can get away with testing them like once a month and then like everybody has a standard test once a month. And then if you show symptoms, they test you and isolate you accordingly. But at that point it's like, well, they might've already exposed other people. So Mm -hmm. it's just like a lot of things that they're going to have to deal with. But that, you know, getting back to our main point, that's why
1: I'm glad this is happening in June not September. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about those numbers, you know, the, the 70 people, and then you have to factor in the walk-ons and then you have to factor in the coaches and then you factor in the equipment staff and all those other staffs. And then you think, well, if that's somebody who has whatever pre-existing conditions or, you know, somebody who's in, at ri- in an at-risk population, if, if they do get COVID-19, do you test them more? And then that's only the football part of this. And then you have men's basketball, women's basketball, the soccer team, the lacrosse team, the all these different sports that all have all of these needs. Uh, and, and even after that, what if Colorado says, you know what, we can make it work. We can develop our own tests because we're the good university in that way. Um, I don't know if that's true at all, but maybe they do find a way to get their players consistently tested. Well, then what happens, uh, you know, when they play the two group of five teams they have on their schedule, you know, Fresno State comes into town. What if Fresno State coming out of California? It, I guess it'd be unlikely that they would not be testing, considering they are coming from California. But if they can't afford it, you're playing a team that isn't testing. all of a sudden, you're risking your players without the guarantee it's there there's there's a lot that goes on in all of this. and to make these rules would be very difficult
0: and then at what point, what's the public reaction if you have a a player that comes out and is like, I don't want to play. I don't feel safe yet. I don't think they're doing enough. Do you think... I, it, it'd be really interesting to me because I think if it was a really prominent player, it would obviously spark a, a very wide national debate. But,
1: but what if it's not? What if it's a guy...
0: What if it's the third string defensive tackle who's, you know, he would have every right. You know, you mm-hmm. your, your your own safety, your own health is obviously it should be a priority at least, but.
1: And if he decides not to play, what happens to his scholarship? You know, yeah, can the school say, s- do we, yeah. do, can they do yank, yank it? that? Like I, uh, it's a, uh, it's, that tough. would be,
0: I don't think you could do that. I think you, the schools would be
1: smart enough to support him. You would think Just the I mean, that, PR that would be that. brutal. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're not willing to risk your life to play football, especially if it's somebody with some sort of condition. Well, and then, and then you start talking about football coaches because so many of them are so old and when the NCAA i believe it was two maybe even three weeks ago they released their like uh, plan to get back to normal the like the socialization or resocialization or so- something was the name of their plan i wish they could have used some simpler names for these <laughs> things but uh you know so they uh they released that with all the different stages like phase 1 you enter if there have been 14 consecutive days of decreasing cases, whatever. But but during all of those, anybody who has uh, or is it part of an at-risk population, whether it's because of some health issue or because they're over 65, they aren't supposed to get into this until way down the road. I mean, months down the road. And the example that keeps coming back to people keep coming back to is Nick Saban, who's 68, who wouldn't be allowed to take part in any of this for at least four or six weeks. Um, Unless you know he's monitoring it remotely, and those types, of, and and that's another issue that these teams are going to have because a lot of football coaches are over sixty five,
0: and that's where it's interesting where like local politics are going to come into play because, you know, I I can't I can't speak for the people of Alabama, but uh, I don't see them just being like. Oh, we're fine without Nick. Like, you, you know, somebody's <laughs> pulling some strings to make that happen. Yeah,
1: you do. You, But you it totally is a great do. point.
0: I mean, uh, recently Mark Kisla, he asked Steve Adazio basically a similar questions like Steve, you know, you look like you're in great shape, but you know, you're 60, you got a birthday coming up. How do you feel about your own health? You know, what about your family members? Are they concerned about it? And in typical Adazio fashion, he kind of brushed it off, you know, total football guy. I'm. Um, you know, I feel 35, all that. But <laughs> That's how it works. It's all about how you feel.
1: But, like that's yeah, what, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't
0: know. I, I I don't think, I just don't think these guys are wired to think that way. I think, mm-hmm. you know, these coaches, like, they're like, you know, what? We're, we're getting back. I, I face risks. And that's just kind of how I see them operating. But meanwhile, man, can you imagine if a coach dies or something?
1: Yeah. Well, and with Patrick Ewing. The news coming out yesterday that he has it. Uh, I'm kind of searching here so I don't say anything wrong. Yeah, but Patrick Ewing was hospitalized for the coronavirus. And he's, he, for those of you who don't follow closely, he's now the head coach at uh, Georgetown. And, and he's not 65. I don't think he's that old. I don't think he's that old. But But yeah, I mean, it, it's already happening. And he was not... I'm I'm assuming he was following the rules and there were no like interactions with his team, but uh, imagine if he had been at practice, you know, because there are just even more opportunities when you're around college kids, not to just blast people my own age, but I've seen the Snapchat stories. I've seen the Instagram stories. There's a reason they aren't, you know, they aren't quarantining quite as well as I think some other generations might be quarantining. And that means that these coaches who are around young people are putting themselves even more at risk. It's gonna be
0: interesting. I don't maybe it honestly might come down to a situation where like the coaches just have to sign some type of waiver. And yeah, like, that's morbid, that's weird, but after
1: after a bunch of them have already given money back to the school.
0: <laughs> also <laughs> already uh, taken the pay If you do happen to die, you can't
1: sue. So has yeah. Adazio taken a pay cut? Have you heard? Because I, I haven't I, heard I don't, anything about I it. I haven't
0: heard anything about it at this moment. So I, I, that's something I need to look into. To be honest, that's a,
1: yeah. I feel like you would hear if, like, there would be a press release or something. Probably that's maybe yeah, exactly. Maybe not.
0: I, I would I, think unless everything he like, I've chose seen been not been to. Yeah. but like schools are going to use every chance they can get to be like, look at our leader. Yeah, he's one of us. Yep, proud to be all that stuff.
1: Yeah, most of the Pac-12 coaches had. It was actually kind of awkward on the call because Justin Wilcox hadn't yet, um, but he was and he there. Just got hired. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, poor guy. But yeah, like Wilcox hadn't taken one yet, but he was sitting next to I can't remember maybe Clay Helton or and some other guy who both already had. And so when Yogi Roth says, or, or no, was not Yogi Roth? It was a media question. Somebody said, uh, so you two have taken the the pay cuts how does that feel like was it hard for you and also coach Wilcox we haven't seen anything or we're just wondering have you and so our two are like you know it's just part of our duties it's something we have to do and that gets to Wilcox and he has to say you know we've had the conversations I think at some point we will but we haven't figured out how much or where the money is going to go and you can't feel for the guy being put in that situation so I was curious if Adagio if we've heard anything because I hadn't seen anything about it
0: it'll be a situation where it it wouldn't be surprising at all, especially you know if it's like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, exactly. something like that. Um, Adazio doesn't have one of those, you know, absurd contracts that like that's true. some of the other. It's a lot easier to ask somebody to take a pay cut when they're making like five million or you know three million a year mm-hmm. versus like one point three, one point five. But then again, that's still just a lot of money, and these departments they're they're gonna have to get creative to make up for the lost revenue. So.
1: They It'll are definitely
0: be something to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, and I know that Rick George has said that they've run through all their models and he's still confident that they're going to come out ahead budget-wise, which makes me feel a little bit better about that. Um, but it is still a very tough time. And there's a big difference between coming in just barely in the black and coming in significantly in the black and... And uh, Rick George has a great reputation, and I have been impressed whenever I've talked to him or talked to other people about him but he is in a tough spot like a lot of these athletic directors we're really going to see who is actually good, good at, at, their at their job, job. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's uh, just one more storyline to follow throughout all of this is which athletic departments wind up cutting sports a year from now. I'm really
0: hoping that CU and CSU can survive this without having to cut programs. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for CU. If CSU cannot currently cut any programs without having Title IX issues, so if if, if anybody gets cut, it's going to be a process where like multiple programs get cut, and that would just be so disappointing. But
1: you yeah. may not have a choice. And I should know whether Colorado would be in big trouble that way, but I'm pretty sure the most recent program they added was the lacrosse program. So that would make you think that they have some leeway because they would have had to have been following the guidelines before they added another sport and whatever, 20 more scholarships or however many there are in a lacrosse team. I can't remember if they cut something to add that though. Oh, see, and that's what, that would be the big question. Well, We'll recap next week. No, yeah, another, another
0: topic there. to talk about next week. But. but I
1: do know that's another one where Rick George has vehemently said, we will not be cutting any sports. So that's good. And I, that's a good sign. I do have a, you know, I have a lot
0: of respect for Rick George. I think him and Joe Parker are, are both, you know, good athletic directors. Uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting though. This is really going to be a situation where how they handle things over the next year or so could really define their legacies.
1: And it's, it's so rare that we get a chance to really evaluate athletic directors because it is so much over time. Uh, you look at, you know, I I can't speak to the specifics at Colorado. I mean, who has he hired? I know he's hired J.R. Payne, the basketball, the women's basketball coach. He's extended a bunch of coaches. Uh, he's hired Mel. Obviously he's hired Carl Durrell. it's tough because so many of those hires take time to pan out. And then any athletic director is going to make some bad hires. And so watching the trajectory of all of the sports at a school and trying to weight it toward the ones that you think it should be weighted toward. If you think that football should be weighted more heavily than success in lacrosse or something like that. And and it's just, there's so many little nuances that for every athletic director to now be dealing with, here's this crisis. Don't, don't cut sports. Don't cut scholarships. Don't cut staff. We're going to see at the end of this who did the best. And sure, there are some other factors that play a part in who will succeed. But in a lot of ways, we're going to see how the athletic directors really perform here. And that another just interesting storyline to follow.
0: Talk about a thankless position, man. It's, yeah. it's not something I would want to do ever. I mean, just looking at CSU, for example... Joe Parker, they actually came out. I can't remember which publication it was, but there was a study. And basically, it was like, you know, which athletic directors are doing a good job helping their programs become financially successful. Hmm. And Joe Parker was like top 10 in the country in terms of like improvement from what he's done. Uh, He's done a great job scheduling games. But at the the end of the day, like all the CSU fans think of him as is like the guy that re-signed Bobo with the crazy extension.
1: And so like,
0: it doesn't matter all of the good things he does because in their eyes, like he is the reason that the football team stalled after McElwain. And so that that's a tough position to be in. Like yeah. athletic directors, they have so many more duties than that, but.
1: Yeah, and and who knows? Maybe for Joe Parker, and I don't know him well. I've never met him. And maybe there's a chance that he does just want to stick around Colorado, but maybe that contract is the difference between him having moved on to a uh high level PAC 12 position or high level SEC or like probably a low level SEC position would be the jump or mid-level, you know, because there is that periphery success, even though the one big move he has made, or I guess now he has hired a second football coach, but you know, there, there is that counterbalance to all the progress. I don't know. I, I think that we're going to see the athletic directors that go through this process successfully over the next year, Get big offers at other schools.
0: I think you're probably right, man. I think I mean it'll be, it'll be very definitive who who has done a good job on this. It won't be so nuanced. It won't be so up for debate because we'll be able to see like which ads were able to mm-hmm. balance things, which ones were able to figure out the scholarship stuff, which ones were able to figure out how to balance campus life and then the restrictions and and travel and all these billion things that they're gonna have to figure out. It's going to be interesting, but all I know is, you know, thank God we're going to assumingly knock on wood, have some college football. I don't think I could handle it. I don't think I could handle <laughs> going to like 2022 or next spring. Oh,
1: just thinking about it makes me sad. Yeah. And there is a little more good news. And this actually isn't something we've had a chance to talk about on the Buffs podcast because I missed it somehow. It. This news didn't get into Buff's Twitter, but the Texas A&M athletic director said earlier this week that he's talked to people at Colorado and at Fresno State and has said that, they're all thinking that both of those non-conference games for Texas A&M are going to go on. For Colorado, that's double impactful because obviously that they're playing Texas A&M. That's one of the games. But they also play Fresno State. And so if Fresno State is playing on playing Texas A&M, there's a good chance they're going to be able to play Colorado in non-conference play too. And so there was that bright spot that came out that maybe didn't make its way all the way to Colorado, or at least Colorado Twitter. <laughs>
0: That's good. I I didn't, I didn't hear that quote either, but that's definitely an encouraging sign kind of goes off. You know, I talked to Patrick O'Brien, CSU's quarterback recently. Um, he's a California native out in California right now. And basically he got asked about the, you know, the California schools and his opinion was they're probably going to play. Like, I don't think they're going to just choose to not play college football if everyone else plays, but if they don't, they probably reschedule around them. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Do you think the buffs would be able to do that?
1: Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that it, it's, there will be so many teams put in that position. I, I believe where, where they will be playing a team that canceled, that's canceled. And this is something that we haven't talked about through all of this, but you brought up before the show that uh, Michigan's president did say, unless we have student a- or students on campus, we can't just bring back student athletes to play sports. And I think that that's a good point, and I think that that could be the case at some universities and not for others. You know, we've heard the NCAA president come out and say that it that it can't happen that you can't have student athletes on campus without students. Um, we've had some college coaches say, "Eh, we'll see how things go." I'm not so sure that's going to be a hard line when the time comes. But that is another topic here, and and it could be the reason that a lot of these teams can't play. Football this season.
0: Just, I mean, I would have to research to really, you know, give an in-depth opinion on this, but mm-hmm. why not? Why couldn't you just bring student-athletes <laughs> back? Yeah, I, I, and that's the thing. Their but- life is already different. Like, to to act like their life is the same as a normal student anyways is so ignorant. Like, mm-hmm. they 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 already essentially live in a chamber anyways of like a extremely set schedule. You're with tutors all day, lifting practice, all of that. They're basically already always on campus anyways. I don't, I guess the argument really comes down to how can you force them to come back? They're not being paid all of that, but I don't know. I just, why not? Why couldn't they, especially if they wanted to? Yeah. Yeah. You're telling me like, if it really came down to it and, and you told you pulled all the football players and they were like, Hey, You know, you're going to be isolated. This is the process. It's this or your season's canceled. What do you think they're going to take?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that they would go. I think that they would do it. But it is just this weird thing where, you know, colleges started before college sports. You know, colleges were started to just make people smarter and to give people an education. Then all of a sudden sports kind of patched on for the students that were there. And then for there to not just be a school running while you're still bringing students on campus and asking people to like, like, are you bringing back the RAs who monitor to the dorms? Because a lot of these guys are going to be living in the dorms. Like, you're going to have to feed them. You're opening the cafeterias. I guess the athletics would have their own cafeterias. Like, That's what I mean, the though. The gym, like, a lot these of these- basic, basic human amenities that are given to students because all those facilities are open. Like, even something as small as there's a post office on campus because the UC or whatever they call it there is open. You know, and you're just missing all of these important pieces of life. Like the dorm many, bathroom, okay. somebody how many, has how to, many uh, people
0: are mailing things out though? Like well, I, I when, get, I get your point. Like I, I really do. Yeah. I just mean like at the end of the day, they're going to have to make
1: some sacrifices. Um, I don't know. Is, is USC going to be able to bring back its football team if there are no students on campus? Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they'll find a way to make that happen. Fresno state. I mean, maybe there, maybe there's a discussion. Maybe that's where it happens. And maybe, maybe it happens in three schools. Maybe it happens nowhere. Maybe it happens to 20 of them, but, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be the same at every school. There has to be students for there to be student athletes. But I I do think that that is one of the big barriers here. What does help though, is that student athletes always come back to campus early and I don't think we're going to hear decisions on campus openings before the football team will be back for camp. And so if if, if football teams are reporting because there was no spring practice two weeks early, and it is that mid-July that all of this is starting up, and there still hasn't been a decision on their campus opening, they're already on campus for six weeks. And then are you going to say, nope, you guys have to go home? Yeah, it
0: just seems weird. But then like, it also comes back to is everybody coming back on campus? Is it the revenue generating sports only? Like Uh, I get that it's a tough topic, but I just think you could make it work. I don't, I don't think it's as crazy as it, you know, kind of gets made out to be just given that the life of the student athlete is not like your normal student anyways. You know, they do the online schooling and then they're on the road and all that kind of stuff. I just don't think it would be that big of an adjustment.
1: Yeah. You know, I could see it. And, and I think that, that is just one of the many ways that one university could decide that they're just not going to do sports. And I think that there will be some of those universities. And again, it's the question is whether that's five or ten of them or whether that's 30 or 40 of them. And I, I think that Colorado, if they're if they do end up being scheduled to play a team that doesn't have a football team, whether that's Cal or USC or uh, Stanford or whoever it could be out of California or Fresno State, uh, I think that they could get something else scheduled. Just because, you know what, they're, they're a power five school. That means that that's where other power five schools will likely look first. I think there are a lot of group of five schools that would like to play up. And I think that there are a lot of FCS schools that would love to play up. And so it just puts them in a bit of a position of power when it comes time for all these schools to fill these open weeks. Do a home and home CU and CSU. I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it. I think in you have, You ob-
0: can't. You don't win there if you're CU. That's, oh, a, no, that's not at only all. CSU benefits in that situation.
1: But- except, except that CU schedules a football game. And that's a football game that people to They're play the it. same football team twice in one year. Even if this is a game that I have been rallying against canceling for Colorado because like it just makes sense or at least like spacing Especially it
0: out when you got a chance to schedule air force mm.
1: <laughs> Fair, But, uh, but, but, uh, if, if this is, this is one of those opportunities that I feel like you have in a season like this to make this season memorable, even if it isn't going to be your traditional college football season. So if that's what it comes down to, if your option is should we schedule Colorado state a second time or should we schedule, uh, I think it'd be more realistic know. to probably SMU? schedule.
0: You know, nah. I, I I think you could probably see him like go getting Greeley or something before they do a, a home and home with CSU just because probably it'd be only though. because like if you're the Buffs, imagine. And this was obviously worst case scenario for them. What if you lose twice?
1: Oh my goodness! I mean, I the don't panic. Think, I I don't I, think
0: I think honestly, if they played twice, I think they would split. I really do.
1: You do, huh? And I would still be betting on Colorado to win both. But well, actually, I mean they're not winning because of all the DraftKings stuff. Yeah, and then that's the scary thing is like it is a true freshman quarterback's first game after not playing a spring football schedule. It is a head coach's first game after not playing, like not having a single spring football practice. And if this were a normal year, I'd say you know what. Colorado still just like with that defense when you're able to go shut down all the teams that they shut down Washington Stanford just not giving anything up they that defense should be able to keep them in a game against CSU but when that defense might not be clicking the right way when you have a young quarterback who could put that good defense in a bad situation a couple times you know I, I could see it that said I mean Colorado's still got to be a heavy favorite I think I'm pretty sure it's,
0: I bet you the Lions less than two
1: points. And really? I bet you,
0: I. Be going, it's in
1: Fort Collins.
0: CU's not going to get more than three. Really?
1: Uh, and again, a first this year
0: is- coach, the Buffs are coming off a last place finish. You had a freshman quarterback. They didn't get spring ball. CSU, you've got the best wide receiver in the conference. You had Trey McBride. He's an NFL tight end. I'm just saying, like, it's, it's not going to be a situation. Like, I'm not being like, CSU's going to kick their ass. I'm telling you. I don't know. Historically, the Buffs have really dominated this series. So Buffs fans should have every reason to feel confident going in. But if I'm a Rams fan right now, I feel really good about CSU's chances against CU in September. That's all I'm going to say.
1: Yep. And I think you should. I think you should feel good about the chances, especially compared to the last few years. It still doesn't swing far enough for... I'm calling it 70-30 at this point is what I see. But again... That's coming from a totally different perspective than what you guys in Fort Collins would uh, see there. This is going to be so much fun, though. I'm so excited for College Pod and getting to make. I just think you got to look
0: at it. You got to look at it more in like the terms of look at the series in the last 20 years, not the five years. There's a lot Mm -hmm. more one possession games, ten point games than there are. You know, the 2016
1: 45 to three or 45 to seven, whatever that miserable night was. Yeah, and again, like I. I have been co- co- covering college football in Colorado for about 9 months now. My outside perspective leads me to believe that this is still a game that you you the team should not be penciling it in as a win. From a media standpoint, I'm I'm feeling good about it. That makes penciling sense. Penciling it in. Yeah. I mean like I said, like if
0: if you're CSU, you don't have you know, you don't have a lot of ground to stand on right now and puff your chest out mm-hmm. and be like, you know, this You got to respect us. At the end of the day, until CSU beats CU, CU gets to talk all the trash. They get to, you know, make the big brother jokes. They get to be big cocky. That's just how it works, baby. Bragging rights.
1: The Rams got to get it done. Mm -hmm. And when the buffs are coming into the season with six cornerbacks who all should be starting on Pac-12 teams, you just look at it like there's got to be a way that you win with this group. You know, that is what is leading me believe. And there, I mean, you're going to have to move One of them to safety, I think, just because of the way the numbers all shake out. And there's all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, Nate Landman, the middle of that defense, he's projected as a third-round pick in the draft right now. Mustafa Johnson as a pass rusher, he's projected as a third-round pick. You know, and two of those cornerbacks were two guys who were supposed to be making big steps. You know, Makai Blackman, we heard about all camp. And then uh, he gets hurt early. Chris Miller gets hurt early. And so KJ Trujillo, the 165 true freshman, goes out and shuts down whoever he's lined up against, against USC. He's making plays on the ball. And so then the guys behind him start breaking out. Meanwhile, you have Nigel Bethel, the transfer from Miami who's about to go off. And that defense should just be so good. I still think that the offense will be able to survive some struggles in those first two games maybe not against Texas A&M and then they play Oregon the next week. And that's when the bloodbath really could start.
0: It's going to be interesting. Man. A, it's going to be so fun. CSU put up 31 on them last year. Yeah. I know that defense obviously improved dramatically. CSU yeah. lost Colin Hill, but the Rams should have a significantly better offensive line. Mm-hmm. I think CSU's defense is going to be a lot better. It'll mean it's going to be fun, man. I'm just excited to be it's able to be make so these fun. debates. You know what I mean? It's like, going to be so fun. The funny thing is, like, I think a lot of the listeners back home think that like Henry and I are like glaring
1: at each other right now or being like, "You're wrong," but really, it's just fun to debate. Exactly. Ah, uh, it's going to be so much fun. Oh, we get to bring and on and Alleyon. You can bring on whoever you think can argue (laughs) that CSU is going to win, but yeah, it'll, it'll be, I'll take all three
0: of you on one on three and I'll still dominate the pod. It's all good. You don't want Eric. (laughs) I'll bring on Eric. If I bring Eric and Lindsay on, I got the firepower. I mean, they're,
1: we're going to need, they're they're just going to
0: assault you guys and bully. you. We're going to need a showdown of our own before this game. We need to play like dodgeball. (laughs) <laughs> or like something, <laughs> yeah. Fun. Or like, a, a, well or like beer pong, or like I, I don't know, something like that. Like we could do like a backyard Olympics type games. T- team oh. CSU versus Team CU.
1: I think it's gonna have to get physical somehow, and I think that that's just gonna have to be the release after we we get into the big debate. We're gonna do our own UFC fights. Me versus Henry. I don't even think that would work. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Neither think one would of us are end. tough,
0: so it's like one of the nobody Who wants? Nobody wants to watch that.
1: Yeah, like, I I don't think either of us could ever knock each other out. Like, I don't think either of us is capable of a knockout or, like, a chokehold or, like, a a foot twist or whatever they call it.
0: (laughs) Well, and I don't think either one of us has the cardio endurance. So, it would just (laughs) be, like, it'd be this miserable experience of too scrawny, out of shape. I could talk some crap, though. Oh, the trash talking would be phenomenal.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: All right. (sighs) We will be back next week. We are going to finally finish up this, uh... Fantasy draft of CU and CSU players. Hopefully, you know, we're we're gonna get more news that leads us to believe college football is in fact coming back. But hey, we're feeling confident, we're feeling good. Hope everybody has a great weekend, great start to your week. Time's irrelevant. I don't know.
1: Time is irrelevant.